in the world, but not of the world. Rightly understood and applied, this sentence embodies the idea there's a tension that every Christian has to manage. The practical reality is we're living among the citizens of this earth, this planet, this country. But we're not to value what godless culture values. The reason we shouldn't do that is because scripture teaches that a Christian's true citizenship is in heaven. And one of the ways citizens of heaven should distinguish themselves from those who are not is how we both think about and pursue wisdom. In one sense, the book of James that we're studying at the moment is really a series of tests about the genuineness of our faith. Today, James is going to test us on where a true follower of Christ goes to get wisdom. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, who the Bible says is the wisdom of God, and yet the wisdom of Scripture does not drive your day-to-day decisions, you need to ask some challenging questions regarding your relationship with Jesus. Because Paul said in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The reason our minds need reviewing is because so often our way of thinking about things is flawed. The theme of this talk, um, as announced in the sermon series, was wisdom and wisdom. A bit weird, that, really. But a better title would be the two sorts of wisdom. Wisdom from above and wisdom from uh, below. And I plan to look at the source, the nature and the effect of both of these kinds of wisdom with a particular emphasis on how we can obtain godly wisdom. The difference between the two couldn't be bigger. What God's people believe is true, the world believes is false. And what the world considers as valuable, God's people view as worthless. But in verse 13, James starts with a very simple and important question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Look around. Decide who is wise and understanding among you. Without thinking too deeply about it, what type of person do you think when you think of a wise person? Would we go to the ones with silver hair, like John this morning? (laughs) Sometimes experience and age can produce wisdom, but not always. That's why we say there's no fool like an old fool. So how do you tell a truly wise person? And James clearly shows that it's not just by what comes out of their mouths. Rather, he declares that a wise person reveals their wisdom by how they live out the wisdom they have gained in a good life. Today, the phrase good life has taken on a connotation of sort of prosperous and pleasurable life. That's, of course, unless you uh, remember the Good Life series where they were trying to do (laughs) self-sufficiency. James, of course, is talking about quite another matter, namely moral goodness or good conduct. Not only do people who are wise, their, their deeds prove their wisdom, but note also the word used there, how they do it. They don't do it by insisting, I'm wise. Come to me for wonderful advice. They don't do that sort of thing. They do it in humility. The humility involves a submissive readiness to do what the word of God says. 
And as they do so, they live at peace with others. What actually is wisdom? We know what knowledge is, perhaps. Perhaps you've uh, done lots of exams in the past and had to swat up, as our young people are now doing, for exams and going through those tests. But wisdom is something different. It's the ability to judge correctly and to follow the best course of action based on knowledge and understanding. In simple terms, there's an illustration that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that it's not a clever idea to put it in a fruit salad. (laughs) Wisdom is about taking all our experiences, all our knowledge, all the advice we have ever received through reading, listening, and then applying that knowledge in the everyday decisions of life. Simply put, knowledge is, sorry, wisdom is knowledge applied. It's not the wisdom who, the person who knows their Bible, it's the person who lives out the truths that they have learned. So let's turn firstly to the wrong kind of wisdom, the wisdom from below. First of all, it's source, and you can find this in verse 15 of James uh, 3, and he uses three words. The first one is earthly This certain wisdom is earthly. It means that this wisdom is tied up with material things on this planet. It's earthbound and knows nothing outside what we can naturally perceive. He secondly describes it as unspiritual. It denies the existence of a spiritual world and explicitly avoids involving God in deciding what to do. And thirdly, it says it's demonic even. Worse than being unspiritual, the person who relies on their own wisdom may be tempted to follow the forces of darkness that have their source in the evil one. In digging into the meaning of this verse, one commentary describes these three words as the following. Earthly, natural, demonic wisdom. It is limited to the present material world of time and space. By definition, it is restricted to things that man can theorise, discover and accomplish by himself. It has no place for God or the things of God. It has no place for spiritual truth or illumination. It's a closed system of man's own making and choosing under satanic prompting. It spawns society, a society whose watchwords are, do your own thing, have it your way, look after number one. It pervades our philosophy, our education, our politics, our economics, our sociology, our psychology. Every other dimension of life is pervaded by this sort of wisdom. What about its nature? You can find that in verse 14. People who rely on this kind of wisdom from below often have a bitter envy or a harsh stance of demanding to be recognised as wise instead of being willing to learn. The motivation for this is jealousy, being number one. James also says such people have selfish ambition in their hearts. They have a desire for personal glory. They want to seem to be wise so that others will have to learn from them. They reject the idea that pride on the inside or the devil on the outside is influencing their choices or limiting their wisdom. There is little desire to consult the Bible. There's little desire to seek wisdom in prayer. There's little desire to spend time with Jesus and with the promise that he can transform 
the affections of our hearts. But before you say, well, that doesn't apply to me, that, that kind of wisdom, no, that doesn't apply to me, let me tell you what it sounds like coming from someone who professes to be a Christian. They say something like, I know what the Bible says, but... Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to do the exact opposite. In other words, they profess to be Christians, but live like those who neither acknowledge nor know God. And this kind of wisdom all has an effect. The result of lying on our own resources, leads, of having selfish ambition and envy, is found in verse 16, namely disorder and every evil practice. James notes the connection between the inward stance and the outward practice. Genuine faith will manifest itself in deeds. And the same principle holds true in the contrasting demonic realm. The false wisdom that is of the devil will manifest itself in practices of disorder and evil. This is simply the application of the principle that James had learned from Jesus. By their fruit you will recognise them. Relying on the wrong kind of wisdom results in a chaotic lifestyle. A lifestyle that means always comparing ourselves to other people. They're always frustrated by how other people have made a name for themselves or accumulated some level of wealth or better friendship groups. Such a person often says, I seem to have the worst possible luck. Or when the consequences of their sin or evil practice catches up with them, they will often say, God's never done anything to help me. There's so much parallel between the book of Proverbs and this passage in James. Let me list a few more traits of the foolish person who lives by their own counsel, by earthly wisdom. A fool is stubborn. The word translated in 49 times in Proverbs is literally means thickness. <laughs> They are thick-headed and stubborn. No one can tell them anything, so they keep making the same mistakes. Proverbs 12:15 says, "The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens." A fool is also quick to fight. Proverbs 18:6 says, "A fool's lips bring strife, and his mouth calls for blows." And in Proverbs 20 it says, Keeping away from strife is an honour for a man, for any fool will quarrel. And a fool also has false, sorry, loose lips. In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. In Proverbs 10, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. And finally, even in a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he's considered perceptive. Well, that's the bad news. However, there's a much better attitude, namely the wisdom from above. And its source of the wisdom from above, James says, is from heaven. The term could mean from above, sort of in a sense of a local sense or a temporal sense, from the beginning or for a long time. In the present passage, this sort of local sense is indicated by the verb come down and by the contrast to the adjective earthly. 
This sense is also consistent with James' use of the term in chapter 1, verse 17 of James, where every good and perfect gift was stated to be from above and then explicitly from the Father. Wisdom is now to be declared to be one of those precious gifts that come from above. When it talks about things from above or from on high, it's inevitably a reference to God. God is the source for wise living. The person who follows godly wisdom has set their mind on the things above. Its nature is far different from earthly wisdom. Those who follow godly wisdom is not marked by joyless obedience. It's marked by a righteous type of living that's attractive to others. James goes on to give some more descriptors. In verse 17, he says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Just looking briefly at these, what does pure mean? This means that your life is morally blameless and follows the path of holiness. There aren't areas in your life where you would be embarrassed if others found out about it. Now, this doesn't mean you never sin, but it does mean when you do, you're quick to repent and ask God for help. Secondly, it says it's peace-loving. Don't we need peacemakers in this world? Yeah, we need people who are peace-loving and peacemakers. You don't walk around with clenched fists. You're not looking for an argument. You're not a com combative person ready to engage in a verbal conflict. You're more about reconciliation than argumentation. The NIV, I think that uh, Anne read, says the next bit is considerate and submissive or gentle and open to reason. You're a humble person who doesn't think too much of yourself. You're meek but not weak. You have what it might call a restrained strength and patience. You don't respond hastily, but gently, just like Jesus, who describes himself as gentle and lowly. No one would say Jesus is weak. We'd say he's strong, yet gentle and restrained. The gentle person is known to say, let's talk about the situation and come to an agreement or better understanding. They're not stubbing and they don't insist on their own way. They are people who are willing to submit and learn from others. The next phrase is full of mercy. You don't rush in to judge people. You're inclined to believe the best about another person and are always willing to forgive any wrongs and not to condemn them. It also leads to good fruit, does godly wisdom. In Matthew Jesus says, by their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Good fruit is a delight to consume. Don't you love good apples and oranges and bananas and <laughs> kiwi fruit and wonderful stuff? It's lovely to consume and a life filled with godly wisdom yields much good fruit, beneficial to others. Then says impartial. Favoritism and partiality is not part of the character of God and neither should it be ours. Do you treat those you like or have an affinity with well and ignore or reject those you find unacceptable 
This shouldn't be if you're getting your wisdom from God. And then finally it says sincere, which refers obviously to truth and honesty. It sort of flows through their lives like Blackpool, Blackpool flows through a stick of Blackpool rock. It's all the way through. Wherever you cut in, you find the genuine thing, don't you? You find Blackpool rock. The wisdom is not two-faced and can be entirely trusted. Some of you may know, I think actually, yeah, I think Martin spoke about this maybe last time, about sincere meaning without wax, because it was a Latin phrase. In the old times, they used to try and sort of rub wax into the cracks in pots and things and try and sell them as the genuine thing. So when a pot was declared to be without wax, sincere, it was the real and genuine thing. So we shouldn't seek to pull the wool, wool over people's eyes. And what we say should match how we live. We need to reflect Jesus and be the genuine article. And the effect of godly wisdom, in one sense, many of those things I've just described are effects of godly wisdom. But he also says something very clear at the end of the passage, which says, by sowing in peace, we will reap a harvest of righteousness. Godly wisdom leads to a harvest of righteousness. Righteousness is the quality of being put right in the eyes of God. And this is the positive side of what James said in one, chapter 1, verse 20. He says, human anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. However, those who obtain godly wisdom will live it out in righteous life. And so to end, so to end this morning, I just want to go through, how can we get this wisdom then? How do you get godly wisdom John Piper's written an article that makes several points. First, desire wisdom with all your might. Proverbs 4 says, prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honour you for your embrace. These are not cheap words. To prize something and to embrace someone are signs of intense desire and love. You really want wisdom. Wisdom must be valuable for us. We must be willing to sell all in order to buy it. Seek it like silver and search for it as it's hidden in Proverbs 2. Second, wisdom is found in the word of God. We must apply ourselves in study and meditation to know the word and do it. That's very much a phrase found in James. Don't just be here as the word, do it as well. In Proverbs it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Therefore, we must devote ourselves to know and understand the testimonies of the Lord. And I commend not only faithful Bible study, but also other books that help us to get closer to God and learn the wisdom of his word. The third thing is to get wisdom is simple. Pray. Solomon was not born a wise man, King Solomon. He prayed for wisdom. And God said, since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering administration, uh, justice, I will do what you have asked. 
Solomon sought wisdom and God gave it to him. He was so wise that people came from all around to seek his wisdom that had been given to him in answer to prayer. Daniel admitted that he himself had no wisdom. But he said, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. And we have seen how Paul prayed that churches might be given spiritual wisdom. And that they might have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. And finally, back in the first chapter of James, which we read some time ago, it quite clearly says, if any of you lacks wisdom, do what? Let him ask God. <laughs> That's where the source of wisdom is. The wisdom that leads to true and lasting happiness is not natural or inborn. It's supernatural. It's a gift of God. Therefore, if we would get wisdom, we must pray. Finally, there's one absolutely last thing. If we would get wisdom, we must come to Jesus. Jesus is the wisdom of God. It says in 1 Corinthians, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Other people have spoken truth. Jesus is the truth. Others have tried to point the way to real life. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Others have given promises, but all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Others have offered God's forgiveness. Jesus brought it about by his death. Therefore in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. To know and love and follow this Jesus is to own the treasure of ultimate and eternal happiness. Therefore the command, get wisdom, means primarily come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom. To seek wisdom from God and walk in the steps of our Saviour is straightforward. We all have choice. Let's be honest, it's a lot of hard work. The easiest thing is just to follow the natural drift of those around us in the world and to not fight against the current of the world going in the opposite direction. So make a decisive choice this morning. Choose the wisdom from above rather than the wisdom from below. Choose God's wisdom rather than seeking wisdom in your own resources. Choose to follow Jesus rather than being squeezed into the world's mould and have life sucked out of you. The genuineness of your faith will be revealed for all to see if you choose to live your life depending on the wisdom of God. Amen.